Sir, please put down the spear. The zombie um, genre, mm. the zombie fantasy, and the zombie fighting fantasy. What I think it also wakes in people is this idea of being useful again. Possibly, yeah. Right? Like you're not just, like maybe you were just Billy Bob the mechanic before. Mm-hmm. But now if now you're the reason the caravan can keep going. That's it. And right. it, it kind of goes back to what I was saying before. Like people don't really have the 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 roles anymore, you know, as the protector, the hunter, the whatever, you know, and that gives them the ability to go back to remember like when more, we were useful, more, more tribal. Right. Yeah. I think maybe more now than ever people feel like they have no purpose. Yeah. Because this lifestyle of comfort, this this ecosystem we've built for ourselves involves a lot of just servicing the system itself Hmm. right like maintaining the artificial conditions of a city the artificial conditions of an economy the artificial conditions of a of a public market a lot of the jobs specifically in montreal i mean jesus are we a service industry here right Mm -hmm. we're just all greasing the wheels right um very Chaplin, very modern <laughs> times, right? Like yeah. uh, you remember modern times with yeah. the guy rolling through the gears, and mm-hmm. uh, that movie gets more prophetic, like with every year <laughs> that goes by. It really, really understood what the industrial revolution was doing yeah. to, to humans. But yeah, as we become more and more just people who polish the knobs on the Titanic or whatever, polish the knobs on the ship, something like a show like Walking Dead proposes that even like a child can be useful right and mm-hmm. even a even a even a convict even a you know a racist biker drug dealing biker redneck you know dickhead can suddenly become an angel and be redeemed like we, there's some sort of redemption all yeah. backgrounds are eliminated all the slate is wiped clean and then now there's only who you are now in the face of this danger and this 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 mortality yeah I don't know. Think, I, I, I think, think it has more to do with like what, and that that seems to be the kind of story that, that keeps happening within that paradigm. Yeah, is it's it doesn't matter who you are, but what, what's what side do you what side do you take? What role ro- role do you take with the insurmountable odds on the other side of the door? Mm-hmm. Who do you become? Yeah. when the chips are down. And there's there's generally two factions. There's the uh, there's the ones that that continue to have hope and continue to clutch to their humanity because surviving isn't enough that they need if if they survive but they compromise everything they believe in in surviving then there was no point anyways because there was nothing you know like are we worth saving sort of thing and then there's the other faction which are like whatever it takes your morality is a luxury we can afford you know we'll sack we'll sacrifice our humanity on the altar if it means taking another few breaths right yeah and you see and that's the, the struggle that's interesting because uh it makes me think of a riot like remember the stanley cup riot mm-hmm. uh, in montreal yeah or just riots period uh and we're not talking about just like there's people who profiteer or like who who, who take advantage of them but when shit hits the fan even in just like a civil unrest situation you see those exact dynamics develop. Mm-hmm. You see the guy that immediately, or the girl, or whatever, generally a guy. You see the guy immediately <laughs> like, ah, 
to grab something and like like a pole and put it through a window and start trashing everything like fuck it burn burn right you got that guy yeah uh, you've got the other guy who uh who just like climbs on top of the car and he's like why won't you listen well like he's just so like mad he's just like listen to us like we just want you to change this because it's so bad and like listen to reason right and then you have the um the people that like clash with the police i i got caught in a riot by the way one time a serious riot yeah. A fucking nine, like the riots of, I have never seen a civil unrest like that firsthand ever. It was absolutely, it was, it was mind boggling to, 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 to tie it to this like end of the world scenario. Yeah. I saw some, I saw something that changed me forever. Uh, in 2008 or 2009 in uh, Budapest. So the quick scenario is um, the government at the time was very unpopular this is now like a post iron curtain fall government right so there this is post communist this is post russian control right this is hungary actually bouncing back from from the communist rule and being actually pretty pretty good at it because there's a lot of intellectuals in that country and but somehow in the mix of the governments that came after the the fall of the curtain this pseudo leftover socialist government took power and there was this really really like stephen harper level but even less somehow less attractive than him just like a an ogre not an ogre a, a goblin he looked like the hobgoblin in a suit uh, so this guy took control and he was very unpopular but he kept he, he kept promising things and of course he didn't deliver it's the old story right but then what happened is I went to visit my, my family there and I went to hang out with my cousin who lives about an hour away from the capital. And uh, some breaking news happened because someone had recorded secretly a meeting of the prime minister with his cabinet and he was just like, he went all out in this recording, right? He didn't think anyone was listening. So he's like, fuck this country. Fuck the monkeys, fuck the sheep that are the fucking voters. Oh, shit. Uh, they, you can shove it up their ass. Like, uh, you know, I'm just going to do what I need to do. And, they, like, the little people can suck it. Like, it was the worst possible. It's that speech that, like, basically it damned him, right? And within 10 hours or so, the capital was packed to the brim. People drove in from all the city, all the cities, all the towns. And there was an immediate protest of several thousand people. And suddenly, beautiful, luxurious, uh, touristic Budapest turned into, like, uh, very apocalyptic, right? I remember seeing some of the, the photos, I think some of your videos. Yeah. It's but, insane. I mean, in, in, initially, it was, a, it was a completely peaceful protest. Somehow, all these thousands of people, no, even though they had been pushed to the brink and they were really pissed off, we're not talking, like, Arab Spring here. Like, they weren't ready to drag him out into the street and shoot him. But they, they all gathered everyone in peace. And they marched to the, um, the, the, the head TV channel building, which is a symbolic place. Because back when they tried to re throw off the Russian control, that's where they'd gone with their list of demands. And they read it on the radio. And, and then the Russians brutally crushed that attempt brutally with tanks crushed that attempt of rebellion so symbolically old people young people everybody just flags in hand hand in hand everybody marched to the tv's channel and said okay we just want to read out our complaints this man has to step down 
he's he's embarrassed us he's humiliated us uh, this is this man we do not have any confidence and he must step down and in typical Hungarian or I should say maybe Central European fashion in even Eastern European fashion the government responded with busloads of what they call commandos there but they're basically the riot police okay but they're called commandos when those guys get called in it's not like in Montreal or in Canada where yeah there's gonna be some altercations there's gonna be some pepper spraying when those guys if those guys come down it's to bust some heads. They are going to crack some fucking heads. And not a little. Hmm. Right? So when those guys showed up, I remember I was like 50 feet away from the entrance of the building. And people were just like chanting, chanting, chanting. And then some assholes uh, lit a car on fire that was... Uh, I was hmm. feet, just a couple of feet away. I have a video of the car blowing up. Hmm. Uh, the commandos came in and like stormtroopers. Like... Just shields just sectioned off the public from the building this sounds very cinematic by the way yeah well thank you you know <laughs> it's what i do but i am lending like i'm not lending in any of my usual cinematic uh metaphors and fla flair mm. this is as it happened mm -hmm. right now there was some other shit going on too because in that particular square where this tv station is or this radio station is uh this government further infuriated Hungarian people by erecting monuments to uh, Russian heroes, Soviet, Soviet heroes of the heyday, wow. which is a direct affront. Like no, no, right? I mean, this is a people that like sat on Hungary and sucked it dry and oppressed it for for generations under the Soviet rule. Right. So to have like communist you know, uh, sickle and hammer uh, logoed, like, hero monuments in the middle of this, like, you know, like, it's a direct affront uh, and against the reclaiming of the country by its people, right? So some kids took it upon themselves to start climbing on top of these things, right? And started pulling down the, the Soviet symbols and pulling off the noses and, you know, just sabotaging the whole fucker. Hmm. And to, to great amusement and cheering, right? Like, it wasn't violent. It was like some people were just yanking, yanking until it broke off. And it was like, yeah, fuck that guy, right? <laughs> so, anyway, before you know it, um, yes, I remember exactly how the riot started. So, everything you saw on TV, I saw how it started. That entire fight. Okay. I was there, which I can't say for many other things in my life. But I was fucking there. Yeah. So what happened was, as the commandos sectioned off the public from the building, there was this one guy who had climbed up on one of the pillars of the, one of the columns and was kind of hanging off like one arm and like waving his flag um, and yen chanting. And he kind of got caught behind the lines as the commandos sectioned off the front of the building with their shields, right? Okay. And then... Everybody could still see him, and they, everyone was kind of still laughing at this point, right? They were like, oh, okay, here comes the fuzz. Fuck you, police. What? All right, all right. But still no violence at this point. Hmm. And then one of the cops kind of starts yelling at the guy who's hanging out on top of the pillar, and he's like, come down here, boy. Like, come down here. And the guy's like, uh-uh. <laughs> I ain't coming fucking down there. You guys are like, they literally looked like stormtroopers. Like, you could, you could barely see their eyes, right? Yeah. They're in the riot gear the whole bit. They're frightening. And everyone knows what these guys are like, right? 
Uh, and he's like, nope, nope, not coming down. And the guy's like, I've told you once, I've told you twice. He's giving him the threatening, like, down here now. Like, get the fuck down here now. And the guy's like, I have known my rights. This is public property. Fuck you. And he's waving his flag. And everyone's kind of laughing at this standoff. And it's suddenly a bunch of these cops, uh, riot cops, climb up. And they just grab him by the ankle and they pull him down. And you see him, like, disappear into an ocean of shields and helmets. And you see the, the nightsticks going up and down and suddenly you know that they're giving this guy a beatdown and oh. it i heard the cord snap thousands of people standing around me right suddenly all the laughter in an instant you heard like a like a rubber band snapping yeah. and the front of the line of protesters just turned into like a like a ph- phalanx <laughs> and immediately like and it was like young people in the front they just just assaulted like immediately they smashed they clashed into the the shield and the fight broke out wow and i saw things that i've never seen in my life i expected it all to be tough guys and assholes in the front no i saw like an 18 year old kid with his hood just pulled in like kenny you know like really tight so he could uh getting face face fulls of pepper spray and being like pushed back with a shield and he climbed the top of the shield and was holding the policeman by his collar and punching the policeman into his helmet oh with bare fists while being sprayed in the face and like not giving up. Just like hammering the guy's helmet with his bare fist because he was so incensed and so outraged at what had happened to this guy. Ooh, wow, man. And like this turned into a, a battle of several days several several days i still have a rock actually a a stone um a a piece of a brick that somebody because the people were pulling up the bricks from the public square and throwing them at the cops wow in the windows i still have a piece of that i brought it home with me i had to answer some questions at the at the customs when i came back they're like the fuck are you doing with this brick i'm like uh it's a memento and like all right just go on (laughs) but i'll never forget and then i had to watch the rest I remember lying to uh, to Hugo. Remember our, our manager? Yeah, yeah. I remember lying to him because I overstayed my my welcome. Okay. Or not my welcome. I overstayed my vacation. Right. Because I wanted to see this thing through. Hmm. And telling him that they had taken my passport or whatever. So that. But the fact is, is that uh, it was the most incredible thing. And it, this is. I'm not even telling you the crazy stuff now. And it was a it was a huge news thing at the time. Yeah, you I don't just know. happened to go. You just happened to be on vacation there. Yeah, it's not like you go there all the time. No, I go like once. You just once happened in a while. to show up when this crazy riot happened, yeah. and there hasn't been anything like that since. No, that government got ousted, and uh, uh, here's the real irony of this thing: is that there was a public outcry at this point, and the party that came to people's rescue was this young party called the Fidesz Party. And they were seen as largely as the like the new guys, enough of the old, crusty, communist, socialist, leftover, corrupt assholes. Time for change. Time for change. Yeah, it's always time right? for change. It's always time for change. Yeah. And those guys are the Viktor Orban is the guy right now in charge of Hungary, and he's the one ordering the batoning of the Syrians, Syrian refugees. Oh shit. And he's turned out to be like this right wing, kind of douchebag. Wow. He's given people, like, he's responded with the other. He swung the, the public the other side. Now, Maybe I, it's I, time for change again. 
To be very honest, and uh, I just really want to caution this because this is sensitive to me. Like, I don't want to um, sit, oversimplify what's going on in Hungary because it's not that simple. Yeah, yeah, certainly. It's a very complex situation. But uh, and strangely, we don't hear about the migrant crisis anymore. Nothing. It's a new cycle, just like no. Oh, that reporter tripped uh, some some kid and his his dad, and then that's it. And then nothing. Yeah. Nothing happened since. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, uh, that was that was some crazy shit. Sounds like it, man. Yeah, I was in a riot once. Uh, there was, uh, I think it was a one of those referendum votes from like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. And I saw some dude beating this other dude with a Canadian, no, it was a Quebec flag. Really? He had like a two by four with a, with a flag on it. And we're walking by and just like, Beating the shit. This is like a citizen guy. beating another citizen? Yeah. Okay. I don't know what the context was. I don't know what they were doing, but... Well, the referendum would have been like 90-something. Yeah. In the 90s, right? Yeah. And then that was... It, it's in, uh, interesting when you ask people in other countries, like, they heard about it, right? Where... Yeah. They have a kind of, again, a fictionalized kind of uh, feeling of it. Um, but it was a very realistic you know, kind of big moment in our history here where um, Quebec was looking to separate and it looked like it it almost happened, right? It almost happened. It came pretty close. Okay. And there were people that would have been upset either way, no matter what that decision was. And you were, you were outside, you were, how did you find yourself there? I, I just happened to be outdoors at like Place des Arts when, when this was going down. I was walking down St. Catherine Street, just not having like the common sense to a avoid the major arteries of the city i right. guess yeah so so two 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 times you want to avoid downtown is um the riots yeah and like the grand prix <laughs> i remember the other one uh, which was the guns and roses metallica show oh, yeah remember yeah. that one people still talk about that people still talk about it yeah there, and i wasn't even at the show i don't know were you were you at the show i wasn't at the show but, but uh, they, they cut the the set short guns and roses like did it like a 10 minute Said or something. Yeah, there were people two, had to wait. Two things happened. First, uh, guns showed up really late, and then Axel was his usual self, but he was like a huge asshole about it. But then he was also made worse by the fact that Metallica was the co-headliner, and yeah. they were at this point at the height of their popularity, and uh, the pyrotechnics went off, and I think it burned James Hetfield's hand really uh-huh. badly. It almost ended his career, actually. Really. And so they had to cut their set short. So now you just saw like your favorite band's lead guy almost get, you know, scorched to death by pyrotechnics. Everyone's already pissed. And then Guns N' Roses shows up massively late. And then in the middle of the set, I think Axel just like, uh, he said something like, I'd heard some story that he, his, because he was into witchcraft or psychics. He's a weird guy, right? Okay. And that he had been told by his psychic guru whatever that he shouldn't play cities with the name with the first letter m in them like really the, yeah <laughs> i never heard that before. i remember the story yeah. yeah i don't know if it was bullshit but uh, anyway the, for some reason axel was was fucking out of his mind and then he just stopped playing and he flipped off the crowd and that set off the fire and then uh, people massively lost their shit i wasn't in the riot but i was in the area okay and I was on the subway, and I remember there was this guy that I went to school with. His name was Ovidio, and he was 
That's a great name. That's <laughs> a great name. Yeah. Ovidio. He was a really very odd dude. But I remember being uh, on the subway, and they had cops on every subway car. This is pre-subway cops, right? Pre-specific. Yeah, no, these are these were not subway cops. These were like cop cops, and they were there because the riots were going on, and they were there to keep the peace. So there was there was a police officer like standing right there as I happened to be on the subway, and I see Ovidio. He's like, hey, what's up, man? I'm like, I don't much you. He's like, I just had the Guns N' Roses thing. I'm like, oh, yeah, it sounds like that's pretty crazy. He's like, yep. He grabs the hat off of the the cop's head (laughs) as we run into a a station. He puts it on his own head, and he runs out, and that's the last time I ever saw him. Wow. (laughs) As the cop is running after him. He stole his hat. He stole the cop's hat. Jesus. Put it it on and ran out, (laughs) (laughs) and I never saw him again. (laughs) That's bold. (laughs) And he was never heard from again. I hope you're out there, Ovidio. Yeah. In one piece. <laughs> I hope he's not somewhere, you know, a vegetable from the beatdown that he got from... Maybe he's still got that hat somewhere. You know, he's got it as a does. trophy. Yeah. Now, that's that whole uh, weird conundrum with the uh, police and, or, you know, that, that animosity, but also, like, please help us when we need trouble, but you're also the worst fucking creatures on earth uh, when... You know, and people like have this love hate thing going with cops all the time. Yeah, you gotta you gotta wonder what kind of person decides to go after that kind of power, and and I oftentimes uh, you know it's not not the not the best types of people that go into that profession. So policemen, yeah, policemen. I mean, I'm sure like they have a really tough job. Don't get me wrong, and yeah. there's a lot of great policemen, but I'm sure there's also some douchebags yeah i mean it who just want to be able to have power over other people and tell people what to do and to get like the respect they always felt they deserved yeah no i mean uh, i i've often tried to to fight my own instincts to to just get on board with that stereotype yeah that cops are dickheads and cops are this and cops are that and i met a few cops here and there and i've met some um i know one guy that studied police tech Actually, I've met more than one. But unfortunately, some of them have confirmed some of my fears as far as not all cops, obviously, right? Certainly not. But there appears to be the two scenarios I've heard of is either it's it's a job that tends to attract a lot of meatheads. Yeah. Who just the I heard this is word for word. What I was told was like their main goal is like I get to carry a gun. That's it. That's the exciting feature of it, right? And so it's either that, or then I've heard the other story, which is some guy or girl literally wanted to, like, the... Maybe we, we talked about this, right? How the intentions are often pure at first. Yeah, and I just want to make a difference, and I... You know, I want to do good. And yeah. I want to help. They watched movies, right, growing up? Hey, right? there you there go. You go. <laughs> there's a connection, right? Yeah. So they... they uh, and this is something we can actually talk about, too, is that there's this uh, movie fantasy to everything, uh, especially professions. Hmm. Um, and then part of doing that job is often fighting against the, the, the movie stereotypes that hmm. come with that. I've often wanted to go on a... I've been planning for a long time to go on an interview spree at some point and track down people in these professions that are often depicted in films. 
and try to get to what is it that's actually going on in that job versus that could be interesting right because like, they've also seen all the all the movies yeah we should have a cop on or like a like a surgeon or someone yeah uh, and be like what's what's different about your day-to-day from, what's from the movies that you see like what drives you nuts when you're in a in a movie theater yeah. watching something and say like that's not how, that's well, not how it goes down i had this conversation today like no joke with an accountant really okay he's a head accountant uh, in a prestigious firm that uh, what they do is called uh, reinsurance, which I didn't even know was an industry. Reinsurance. Yeah, so not insurance, but reinsurance. And apparently there are re-reinsurers. And uh, just to quickly give you the background of this, is what happens is an insurance company will, let's say, guarantee, let's say you take out a policy for a million dollars on your life, right? Yeah. Sometimes the company that sells you the policy doesn't actually have the collateral doesn't have the cash to back that that actual the risk risk they don't have the million dollars in case some you know they have to pay out so they do business with reinsurers who bring capital to the to the conversation so they insure the insurers they kind of back the initial insurance policy okay. money wise yeah and in exchange for that as i understand it they get a cut of the premium that you pay towards that right Okay. And sometimes sense. it can go even... Apparently, according to this guy, most people don't know how far their insurance is being split and cut up and insured. Huh. Sometimes there'll be four or five companies actually behind your your home insurance or your car insurance, and you don't even know it because this is going on in the background. Right. Um, and the very question that I put to him today, I was like, uh, I was like, okay, so what are the classic accountant fantasy movie tropes that you have to constantly fight off and he's like oh that's a very easy question and he's like i keep having i he's like i've been working 15 years in the accounting business and i still have to deal with these delusions or illusions about what i do um because of the movies about fraud and all these you know thrillers about like financial you know uh, real estate uh, um, stock market thrillers and all that People like think, you're rounding every penny and putting it in your bank account, kind of thing. Yeah, well, what they <laughs> Which think is like Superman two. Superman two. Oh yeah. <laughs> Superman two. Adding three cents to every dollar. I don't know something, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he said, "Yeah, he's like one of the basic uh, misconceptions about accountants is that people tend to look at them as criminal lawyers, and they think that as they can tell them everything. Oh, protect me. And I, then they'll navigate them through the system and help them avoid." Like there's some taxes. kind of attorney-client privilege that yeah. happens with an accountant? Exactly. Huh. And to a certain degree, it's true because accountants, in fact, have to serve the client and see to their interests. But they are also uh, navigated by a very strict uh, oath, or I should say uh, ethics code. code. Ethics, yeah. yeah. That's uh, overseen by like the order of account- chartered accountants. And if a charter, if you're like you come to your account and you're like, hey, 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 here's all this fucking money I'm hiding, <laughs> like you come into your, you think you're paying this guy, and then, yeah, that guy's responsibility is to immediately stop you and say, hold, I'm, it is my duty to report this to the government. Really, I am I am mandated to report any illicit activity. The most distant attitude they can take is to refuse to treat that client's. Uh, tax papers and not basically just push the file back towards them and go like sorry we can't do any business huh. uh obviously like i just won't be part of this yeah i can't take this case yeah. because you're up to some shit and uh, i'm not that's not what i'm here for huh. 
And the classic questions he gets is like, all right, all right, listen, uh, I made a little extra scratch here, uh, you know, doing this and that. And like, uh, how do I get this past the government? <laughs> right. He gets this kind of question. Yeah. Um, apparently, it's really bad with small businesses because that's where a lot of that funny business goes down. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so there, there, there he was like that. That's one of the misconceptions I have to fight consistently. Huh. So to get back to policemen, um, the police tech guys I've talked to have been like, yeah, so you already have this guy who wants to be a tough guy, right? And he wants to be some sort of 70s slide over the hood badass that cracks heads, <laughs> right? He's in, fallen in love with that fantasy. Yeah. Or you get some young idealist who comes in and he's like, I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to protect my community. And the, 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 the job breaks them. The realities of the job set in. Either they get bad advice from whoever they're writing with, some old-timey cop who, you know, yeah. uh, turns them on to some bad behavior. Yeah, that's the rookie in the wire that's, like, yeah. wet behind the ears and then ends up getting strong-armed into some dirty business. Exactly, Serpico, all that stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Or what'll happen is they'll, because the rookies, like in every field, get the shit jobs first, uh-huh. right? They'll have to ride the bicycles and they'll have to give out tickets and be on the front lines. They at some point they just crack under the pressure of having people spit in their face and steal their hats and call them pigs and cowards and assholes, mm. regardless of the context. And at some point they they uh, retreat into this tribal mentality. This us us versus them. Yeah. Thing. So idealist cop gets one spit too many to the face. He's really upset and he goes back to the station and the old timey cop kind of goes like, you see. They're like they're like children. They don't understand the job that we have to do, the risk that we have to take. That's funny. I never I'd never thought about it that way. Yeah. Just put the the newbies on the front lines until they get jaded enough to be to to know the real deal. Yeah. So that we can bring them into the to the real fold. Yeah. And I mean, I've, you've seen it. I'm sure you've seen before people interact with cops in a completely inappropriate way. Oh yeah, I've seen it all the time. Where you you were kind of like on the cop side. Absolutely. Can you can you think of an example where this has happened? Some of those some of those riot situations for sure, absolutely. Some people just think like the safety you can do anything at this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was uh, part of the Maple Springs thing a little bit too when the students were were protesting with the pots and pans and that the Red stuff. Square uh, movement. The Red yeah. Square, yeah. So I mean, the vast majority of people who were there were cool, there for the right reasons, behaved properly. But then there's other ones who are just. I don't know why they were there. They didn't really. They didn't know why they were there. They were just there to stir some shit. Yeah. Right? Like they weren't there for the cause. They weren't there for the same reasons I was there for, and that's for sure. But they just saw some shit happening, or like, yeah, let's wreck some shit. Yeah. And the, you know, those are the first ones to to make things violent. You know, oftentimes. Let's have a sip of our scotch and continue this top. This very amazing topic. Fire in the hole. Fire in the hole. Oh, jeez. This is good stuff. <laughs> I'm not surprised, of course. Hmm. Um, yeah, so this is a ve- this is a reality, right? And but yeah. as a citizen, you're standing there, and a guy or a girl uh, is in a riot or a protest situation, and suddenly believes or uh, thinks they can say and do anything to a cop. Mm-hmm. And then if that cop either a loses their cool or finally like steps in and like grabs your arm, twists it, and puts you down immediately the reaction of the group is 
abuse, right? Yeah. Abuse, you're There's hurting that pivot her. Point. There's just this, like, where, and, you know, you've seen it, you're kind of talking about it before. Like, it sounds like yours was more justified. It was more clear-cut because the, the, those mentalities aren't really in place in, in Europe uh, right. yet. There's a very clear-cut separation between police and the people. Uh, here, there's we have actually a very humane type of policing in for Can- sure in Canada anyway. But no matter how humane it is, like there's always going to be a certain amount of douchebags. Yeah. In any in any crowd. Right. Right. And on and, and in the, in the cop side too. And there's right and there's there's a there's an odd mentality that happens when people get into large groups. Right. Like we can't. Nobody really knows what's going on. The hypnosis you were talking about the last time, right? Right. So we have a, we have a tendency to stampede uh-huh. at a certain point, and we we don't have the ability to be rational in that situation because we need to react, mm-hmm. right? It's yeah. Like, it's like this animal thing. Like if you hear about it at uh, soccer matches, yeah, uh, people get uh, trampled and things like that. For sure, it's the same and, dynamics. Or like some of those pranks where. You know, just for laughs prank or something where uh-huh. like somebody's walking down a street and then like like a hundred people come around the corner and they're all running away f- from something like terrified and see if that one person's going to start running with the pack. And oftentimes they do. Yeah. Right. They take you take. I would. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, you take a cue from all of your fellow humans to be like, OK, well, I guess we're some all shots, running now. Some, some OK, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so and these are maybe some of the dynamics, too, that work. Um Again, this comes back to a conversation about stand-up comedy and, and concerts. Mm-hmm. Group behaviors. Group behaviors, yeah. Yeah. But, um, like, policing is an incredibly complex idea, right? It goes back to, I think, my uh, Eric, who we had on last week, could probably speak uh, very um, authoritatively and smartly on this. But uh, it goes back to these philosophies like Hobbes and these guys have written about the social contract. About the, about the idea of purchasing order and stability as a society when we decide to be civilization by outsourcing order to a, to a class of people whose job it is to maintain the peace. So uh, it's a job that is incredibly sensitive and crucial, but almost impossible to do without hurting feelings. For sure. Right. And now, especially with the social media and with everybody's up in everyone else's business, I guess maybe this started somewhere around the Rodney King beating, which was, I think, maybe the first time somebody recorded audiovisually. This is pre-social media, but it was the first time somebody got it on tape, right? And now that everyone's carrying cameras in their pockets, everyone's filming everything, right? Don't tase me, bro. Uh, all that stuff. So now their job just got really, really, really difficult, as well as uh, abuses that have been going on for many, many years and centuries, maybe even, are now also coming to light, right? The Black Lives Matter movement, the, the shootings in the U.S. Mm-hmm. We're seeing the, this old idea of tr- entrusting the safety of our society to a group of people a clash with our need or what our definitions of freedom are, right? So I don't envy cops at all. It's a hell of a job. I, I, I don't even know how you do with the job right. Because uh, unlike, again, from what I've heard, unlike what you see on TV where they're chasing down criminals and 
uh, you know, through rooftops and <laughs> it's always rooftops yeah. or cuffing some guy or catching the purse snatcher. What, from what I've heard, a majority of the work that cops have to do are things like getting homeless people off the street. Yeah. Or picking up drunk or, or drugged up people and, and managing that. Or going to homes and f when there's calls for domestic violence. Can you imagine? You, you, that that was your day-to-day? -day? Yeah. Like that was your job? Like you get called, you're just sipping your coffee, you're talking to, to me, I'm sitting in the driver's seat or vice versa. And then we get the, we get the call and it's, it's not some sexy, cut, you know, clear-cut situation where some guy is trying to rob a place and we corner him and we flash the lights and like, get on the floor! And then we cuff him and we go home and high-five everyone. Book him down now? No, we walk in day after day into apartments. We see kids in dirty diapers uh, guy, you know, girl with a black eye or both parents high as kites, kid, you know, in the corner malnourished, mm. domestic fights, neighbor fights, bum fights, you name it. Like this is Just your the day to day. The dregs of humanity. The worst Just... that humanity has to offer every day. Yeah. You don't call the cops when you're happy about something. No. You consistently see the worst elements of human society. Yeah. How fast would we, like, we think of ourselves as rational and, and compassionate people, but realistically, how, how long would it be, how long would it take for our faith in humanity to deteriorate and start to, because what does the mind do, right? When it's in crisis, it, it retreats to a safe place. Or it creates this, like, us versus them right. thing, right? Where well, that's kind of what I mean. Build a team. Right? Yeah. You, if you're constantly the guy being called to clean up other people's messes when they're in pieces, you very easily can develop the idea that you're together and your job is to kind of shepherd and pick mm -hmm. up the, the dirty, the unwashed masses, right? While simultaneously being given this, like, this power. Yeah. Which, like, uh, that, that experiment that was done with the with a, a bunch of students and they were randomly assigned who was like an inmate and oh, who the prison was guard the, experiment the prison yeah. guard thing i forget what it's called but the experiment right? yeah mm -hmm. and they, they they saw a lot of that same behavior even though like they could have left the experiment at any point right. you know that they weren't forced to continue but the guards started to exhibit a lot of these power dynamics yeah and i think the 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 inmates as well yeah. You know, well, they, it, they, they started to acclimate to their roles. They started to act the part. Yeah, very quickly, mm -hmm. in fact. And it degraded to, oh, I think they made a movie about it and stuff. They made a couple of projects about it because it was an incredibly controversial and interesting uh, social experiment. Yeah. But it's been replicated, I think, now a few times, too, in different circumstances. It's weird what happens when you give people yeah. power or the appearance of power. Absolutely. I, I wish again. I wish we were gonna have to have Eric back to talk about this. But he told me about a a project where they had uh, convicted murderers, like the worst of the lot, like the most vicious prisoners, um, uh, perform Shakespeare. Like they tried to organize them into to do Shakespeare. Cool. So take these people that have been written off in every single way by society, um, and they try to humanize them, but at the same time, through Shakespeare, make them realize the gravity of their actions and at least maybe that was not the aim but some of them sort of came 
full circle in their own minds about what they'd done while playing like Othello or Iago or whatever in one of the Shakespeare plays. Well, yeah, we're gonna have to get Eric back here at some point to talk about it because. Right. Uh, uh, but this is again, yeah, it's almost to, to me like we talked about uh, Walking Dead. We talk about this uh, attraction to apocalypse, to death, to uh, surviving. Right, how Survivor was a show for forever that mm-hmm. compelled people because the idea of surviving, even though somewhere in the back of our minds we knew it was all orchestrated, and Definitely. worst case to worst case scenario they swoop in and like they stop everyone. And there's been yeah. even shows that were shut down because it went too far. Right, people died in these Survivor survival type shows. The Colony is that the one? I think it was the Colony. What was the Colony? What was the idea? They dropped a bunch of people into kind of a post, like a simulated post-apocalyptic scenario where they had actors who were like raiders that would come in and like kidnap people and Shit. stuff, and like they, like they were like in a warehouse and they had to generate their own electricity and clean their own water and you know food and stuff, and they created these, they manufactured these scenarios where like you'd have like a group of ten people. Who were there and they were there for like a week and they'd figured out their stuff and like they'd rationed everything out and then like they drop a, like another two contestants at the door to be like let us in let us in like we we're hungry or whatever and like <laughs> then they all have to like decide whether to bring bring them in or like uh raiders would come in in the night and they would like attack them steal their food and stuff like the raiders weren't allowed to to attack them physically but like the the people on the show didn't know that they weren't allowed to attack them physically so it was perceived as a threat so they'd come in they'd steal their food or they'd sneak in uh because they hadn't created a perimeter or defense or anything they'd come in they'd like fuck up their like uh their windmill or they'd they'd kidnap one of their one, one of their members and then demand like half of their food in exchange for the return and then they have like they're all put in these like weird situations i think it was season two it was a good show i was i was really into it yeah uh i think it was during the filming of season two or possibly season three because i think i saw two seasons of it and i don't usually get into this stuff at all my brother does Dan does. <laughs> <laughs> another he, guy we'll have to have back yes absolutely but uh during the filming one of those raiders uh push somebody down the stairs accidentally or in in kind of a scuffle somebody fell down a flight of stairs and died oh shit so everything just came came to a halt at that point obviously right. and i don't think it's ever coming back but it's it's worth checking out i think it's on netflix yeah the first couple of seasons well it's not, it's not perfect but it's 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 interesting well isn't that interesting again uh, like you now now we're talking about not just even watching the survival porn essentially yeah apocalypse porn uh, through a fiction uh, construct like walking dead but actually bringing it to a, like a a drill reality tv environment so now clearly now there's something to our theory that that there's this it, it wakes something in us well, it's a similar sociological experiment as the warden, uh, like the the prison experiment. Right. Right. They they brought in people from all walks of life to see, like, okay, there's an engineer, there's a doctor, there's you know, there's all all types of different people who are who are there. How would they interact? How would they form a community? Uh, what kind of ingenious uh, solutions would they come to everyday problems, and would they? 
potentially survive. It was like yeah. a what if scenario. So it was, yeah, very similar to a, it was the zombie apocalypse without the zombies. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's you know that's another thing about human beings that has always fascinated me is the uh, the ingenuity that comes out of uh, desperation. Yeah. And 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 uh, suffering and how in a very ironic <clears throat> and almost uh, tragic way. We're at our best when the chips are down, really down. Not all of us. Most of us just panic, run, like you said, and break windows and beat each other over the head. Hmm. But there will be like these couple of people that something awakens in them and they become, you know, you hear these stories of uh, these mathematicians, like Tesla, right? Hmm. Uh, Tesla is remembered for having been, you know, fucked over hardcore by like Edison and all this other stuff, but also having birthed all of these ideas about uh technology and electricity but most people don't know that he came from nothing he came from siberia from a complete shithole hmm. like the mud he climbed out of the mud and became one of the most brilliant people in the world and you keep hearing these stories about little african kid in a war-torn country inventing a solar-powered lamp because he wanted to a way to be able to read his books to 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 somehow work his way out of the, the muck. Something about survival and, and obstacles, and we even, we've seen it on a smaller scale, right? Like uh, whenever we have had the courage and the strength to overcome some bullshit in our lives, the, the sense of accomplishment that yeah. comes with that is unique. It unlocks some sort of serotonin... Uh, <laughs> You know, without knowing too much about the science, but I think there's something there's something uh, magical about that right. for sure. There's something, and then that goes back to the the zombie stuff too. Yeah, uh, you know, that's the reason why I watch this stuff. It's like I I, I want to believe in the human spirit again. You know, isn't it? Isn't it sort of like yeah? Because it it breaks, it breaks, it erases all these constructs. Yeah, that we've built. And it's almost like we are impressed by ourselves for coming up with these cool ideas, these technologies and these ideologies, but our physical meat selves are not up to the challenge. We, we can't either reach to be up to the, to the, to the task, right? Yeah. Um, I always make the comparison with the communism, how communism everyone says communism failed and communism is bad and communism is this and the other thing i'm like i don't think we've ever actually executed communism as a society ever i don't think we're capable of communism I, we can't it, it, <laughs> we were we're we some of our ideas are so great that they're actually maybe beyond our capability to execute mm-hmm. and maybe to bring it back to the police thing is that i think maybe that's one of those ideas where it's a very logical and a very um, rational thinking uh, thing, sort of a, a product of a very rational, logical debate. Uh, there's, there's a police chase apparently somewhere, or someone's <laughs> streaking with their car, if, if you guys can hear that. But yeah, so it's a very logical mind that, that deduced that in order to keep the peace in a place where humans willingly live together. Somebody needs to be in charge of that. Someone needs to either, someone needs to police it, yeah. literally, literally. Somebody needs to keep the petty squabbles, and, um, in bed, and somebody needs to put it put those things to bed, or someone needs to stop chaos from erupting on a ma- massive scale, and that's the police's job. And so it's a fantastic idea, 
but we just may not be up to it. We're not able to execute it in a way that is, we can't do it. What a burden that must be for for somebody to to own that, to, yeah. for that to be their their thing, that their lot in life. Like being a cop. Yeah. Okay, so take the smartest person you can think of, the person you admire the most, other than me, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I need to think of someone. Else <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Love you, man. So fire in a hole. Um, so take the smartest, most evolved, the most, the wisest person that you know, and put them in the job of a policeman or policewoman. I, I guarantee that they would have tremendous amounts of problems. Just trying to ratify, not ratify, but uh, trying to understand and to balance and to, to juggle all the responsibilities and the mentalities and the events that come with that job, right? And now we've talked about the fact that it's primarily fueled, the police force, by, by meatheads. Well, you need to be more of a doer than a thinker, I think, to be right. an effective police officer. If you're going to have like a thinker doing the doing... It may not be the best fit. Yeah. And they might struggle. Thinkers probably get in trouble very quickly in in a police force, right? Someone who's trying to, who, who like splits hairs and is like, hang on yeah. a second. Like challenging the status quo and like rocking the boat with all these guys who've been in the job for 40 years. And yeah, no, that, that, I don't think that's how it works. That doesn't go. The wire has taught me that. That's the not wire. How Thank works. you, wire. There's also, again, like with politics, it seems to have this one built in problem for me is that it's a remuner, a sorry, a, a, a salaried, it's a career yeah. to be a policeman. Mm-hmm. And that to me seems to somehow clash with the whole idea of, of the job itself. If this is a socially, inescapable like a must-have in order to maintain a, an ordered society it doesn't make sense to me that someone would want to have a career aspirations in that field like politics if these, these are necessary constructs in order to to make a society function then they cannot be approached I think uh, with the same mechanics as becoming a uh, broker or becoming a scientist not a scientist but a like they cannot be pursued in a career hi- like, like way. the hierarchy and like the salary structure because yeah. they get, they need to eat. They need to eat. It's very difficult to. I'm not saying don't. With I'm not eating. saying don't pay them, but yeah. I'm saying they they should just be they should just be paid by the state. Uh, and but what's the difference between somebody who has more experience than another one? Well, right? the, like a like a leader mm-hmm. within within the, like if you're a sergeant or something as okay. opposed to. A, a rookie who's, you know, doing the beat on the street. Like they, they shouldn't be remuner- remunerated. Yeah, differently. we can't do that word today. Remunerated differently. Fire in your hole. Fire in your hole. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> no fire in your hole. <laughs> and I think it's time for more scotch. Um, cheers. Cheers. Um, no, like politicians, and I, and here obviously I'm idealizing and I'm and I'm and I'm spitballing, uh, but the idea is that if you let these jobs, like being lead, uh, world leaders and and senators and whatever politicians and cops, and if you let these jobs be approached the same way as becoming um, an entrepreneur, then you are allowing or you are opening the door to the same kind of uh, temptations and the same kind of problems that those jobs have, right? Which is competition, Mm -hmm. right? Do you really want a cop being jealous of another cop's career and like 
playing dirty to get ahead of him to try and, to get some more arrests or yeah or like, like pulling more tickets so that his boss will like be more more open to him promoting him than the other guy or do you want those dynamics that, all the guys in the riot squad trying to compete over how many heads they busted that day or? yeah and because we're humans that that shit goes on you know absolutely it, it does look at the army like yeah. there's all kinds of even the army even sort of uh, encourages that whole like uh, fucking navy pussies yeah. And then the oh, or the stamps on the side of the tank. Yeah. So, <laughs> fucking army. The army. Built, uh, everyone makes fun of the army. Yeah. And then oh yeah, you put the little crosses on your plane when you when you shot down one of the enemy. Hmm. This is a bigger topic, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying. Like it, it shouldn't be subject to the same kind of same kind of thing. Right. But then in all of these survival scenarios, what is really interesting is like take Walking Dead for instance. The reason, apart from the fact that the, the society's structures have fallen and there are these predators now, what really makes it, I think, super interesting is that there are no laws yeah. that can be enforced anymore. If you think of it like these large cities that we live in are you know, unnatural, they're too complex and there's too many ins and outs. The whole reason why we, ha- we need police officers is because... There's so much anonymity and there's no real sense of community anymore. You know, bring that down to a, you know, a manageable size where people can police themselves. Like if you, if we're intended to, to live in villages of like 150, 200. Yeah, I've whatever, heard that theory. It's know, pretty interesting. Like that's kind of the number of names that we're able to recollect. Wait, okay, wait. So the theory is if we lived in those numbers, like if we, we split up into those communities, what would happen? There, there would be no anonymity. Okay. Right? I think that anonymity is, is kind of the problem, right? Like if you live in a, in a community, like a little village of, you know, 50 to 100 people, and little Timmy goes missing one day, well, you probably know, like, there was, you know, one of the guys in the village who's a bit weird. And Roger, he, Roger was always weird. Yeah, and, and he disappeared at the same time. So, you know, we know what happened there. Or we know who who was sleeping with who and whose wife was cheating or whatever, and so those two dudes killed each other. You know, like all these things, like they become more manageable and ends up being kind of like a tribal council that sort of decides what to do. And you don't really need police officers to enforce laws at that point. It's the community that enforces the law. We don't have a community anymore. Like we kind of form our own little communities, I guess, with. The people that we choose to spend our time with, but by and large, we live in these big metropolis situations where, you know, somebody falls down with a heart attack on the street and like people just step over them. Right. You know. Yeah, that that very quickly becomes a, and it's not even by callousness, right? It's just that at some point your mind can just not, cannot account for the the the, the droves of people and. The faces and the faces, the faces. You you get overloaded essentially. Yeah. Like, so there's like, just yeah. no there's no empathy there. Like you're not you're not part of my of my <clears throat> tribe. Yeah. The death becomes a, a fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Like World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> and but that's another topic for another day. So okay, so uh, this idea of the smaller communities. Okay, so anonymity. What else? So anonymity would not be possible. Therefore, this would be better because everyone would know what everyone was up to. But I guess this also means privacy is out the window. Oh, yeah. There's no privacy in that situation. I mean, anyone who's lived in a small town knows that there is no privacy. Right. But maybe privacy is overrated. Maybe privacy is what keeps us kind of accountable for what we do with like our, our, inter, our 
interpersonal, you know, our relationships with other people. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's tough to say because I definitely want some privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, those times where, like, I have this theory that men secretly hate pants. Like, we secretly resent the invention of pants and we wish we, like, shirts we're fine with. <laughs> because we're self-conscious about our bodies and stuff. Yeah. But a, a general, a, like a straight man, or maybe even not even a straight man, but a man as a, as a rule, maybe even women, I'd have to talk to women about this. The minute you're through the door and you now know that you're not, not going to be called upon for a while, mm-hmm. the pants are the first thing to go. Maybe it's because our reproductive organs are on the outside. Is that it? Maybe and maybe they're, they're, it's constricting. I don't know. Uh-huh. I just I, I fucking hate pants. Like yeah. they look good when you're dressed or whatever, but when I am in the house, they're the first thing to go. Yeah. Oh, well, my kids come home and my my girlfriend comes home. Okay, I'll go I'll go put on some shorts. You know, because <laughs> I'm not an animal. But if if I've got some alone time, fuck you, pants. <laughs> like full commando or just no pants? No, no. Like underwear is fine. Okay. But pants are like a, a necessary evil that yeah. I have to wear. I, I'm not saying I would like to go outside without pants. I wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> but they're uh, they're uh, they're like a, a tribute that I pay to society. Like I'm like I want to be part of this group, so I'm going to wear them. Yeah, that's very true. I, I would agree with that. Uh, some people feel like that about shoes, and then we know we've seen people who clearly come up, like there's this guy <laughs> there's this guy living down the street for like on the corner of my street. Uh, if it's somewhere above, like 10 above zero, his shirt comes off. Seriously? Yeah. He sits on his balcony all day. Uh, I think he's on welfare, but I don't judge him for that. The fact is he looks like he's had a pretty hard life. But yeah. if there is at least 10 degrees above zero, the guy is topless and he's just chilling. <laughs> and it's like if he had his way, he would just bare chest it. His whole life. and he's not he's you know he's not exactly in shape or anything he works mm-hmm. for a living but uh i've kind of gotten away from this whole thing but what i'm saying is privacy to a certain degree i want some yeah. but it there's all again there's this conundrum or paradox or whatever you want to call it where on one end we have to sacrifice certain things to be able to live together we have to compromise some of our own little vices and our little capricious you know our little habits um and then on the other end we have to we still want our privacy so it's like this constant struggle between those two things right like i want my privacy but i'm okay with people maybe monitoring these different public places for potential threats right so you don't want the government reading your email and your and monitoring your social media definitely don't want that but i'm kind of happy that there are cops at the public places when if, there's a big event but if you're living in a village like what real privacy would you want you just want to be able to hang around without your pants on and like not have people stare at you you just like well we all want some alone time right sure but you just go and close the door to your cabin but when your kids are out playing there's a whole village watching to make sure that everything's cool yeah you know, or if you want to be alone with yourself, you go on a hunting trip with the boys. Yeah, you <laughs> or take, something. Take you know, like there are mechanisms in place for you to be able to. Maybe I don't. I don't know. I I just none of us have really ever experienced like a village life, and and I I think that's one of the first things that people say is like, well, what about the privacy thing? But 
I don't know. Maybe we're putting that in too high of a regard. Yeah. I mean, it is a luxury that's afforded to us from this like anonymous society. But is it is it worth it? Is it worth it to give up community for privacy? And what is that privacy really? Is like be able to close your door and take your pants off? I'm pretty sure you could be able to do that in the village. It's just everyone knows who you're sleeping with. Everybody knows, you know, generally what you do or what kind of person you are. But if you're a yeah. decent person, then who gives a shit? You know, yeah. like if you're a child molester or you're like a murderer or you beat your wife, then yeah, that's, you know, you're going to want to have your privacy, you know, in order to enable these like antisocial behaviors. But like your behaviors are not antisocial. Taking your pants off and, you know, hanging out and watching some Netflix is, you know, that's fine. It's fairly, I think fairly acceptable. Maybe it's very acceptable. You haven't seen me without my pants watching Netflix, though, that you may change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> You may, you may, you may rip the horror. No, the horror. I've changed my mind. I take it all back. Some things should remain. These some things were not meant for mortal eyes, right? But um, I, I see what you're saying. It's just that uh, I, yes, there is too much of an emphasis on privacy now, which is hilarious because we live in a time where people are tweeting out their bowel movements and and what they're eating at every moment of their day exactly and then if somebody finds out that the government read some email of someone or whatever they start like fiery fiery righteousness and they, they like throwing like they get so pissed <clears throat> and meanwhile these are people like uh, documenting every single fart <laughs> do you think that that might be sort of a a reaction to the the, the loss of of community and and what is in the same way that, like, in a village, everybody knows what everyone's doing and, you know, that th- we're there, there are no community. secrets, that we're, like, some, like, this instinct to share our bowel movements and everything that we eat on Instagram and all this is in order to so, somehow simulate that? Uh, that's not a bad thing. I think it definitely has something to do with, like, a cry for help as far as not being anonymous anymore. Because you could make the argument that people are probably the loneliest they've ever been in human history. Certainly in our society right now. Yeah, like I'm talking like Western civilization. Yeah, there's a lot of loneliness. Even with this digital, like, <laughs> even with this digital uh, connectedness. People, even more so, yeah. People, like, are ultra, ultra lonely. And the, probably the more that they share all this stuff on social media, the lonelier they are in actual life. Right? And they're just trying to compensate for it? I don't know. I'm just, I'm just no, spitballing no, the, here. The, the, this, 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 I mean, it makes sense to me. Uh, I saw this great meme or like an e-card or one of these jokes online where I posted it up too because I thought it was really funny. And it said, may your... May your life be as exciting as you pretended it is on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a mixture of an actual goodwill statement where like, I want you to do well and to be happy. But it was also a condemnation of this, uh, this new wave of, of uh, what we were talking about, the uh, tailoring of your social life online and how you represent. I think I agree with you as far as it's definitely uh, um, us people saying or trying to, to strike back at the, the loneliness, but also the anonymity of, of being a human being in the 21st century where there's so many of us. 
And that goes back to the film thing, right? People are looking for meaning in their lives. They want to be like the hero in the story. Yeah. Because they're just like every other fucking asshole out there. And, and there's a, a fucking there's billions of us. That's a horrible like it's a horrible feeling, right? Yeah. Like no, I want I want to be the hero. I want to be the 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 one, the chosen one. The chosen the that, one from the prophecy. We kept get we that that they that's a you, you know, you could go into the whole Judeo-Christian origins of that, but that is constantly a message that keeps getting pumped back into us. It's just like uh, the chosen one, the one that will bring balance to the force. Uh, yeah. The, You're not just some other asshole. You're the one that's special. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean... That's probably the, that's probably the, 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 the num- number one, like, film kind trope. of dynamic. Yeah. That... that that we all kind of it's part of all of our fantasy is like you know yeah i'm going through a hard time now and as awkward as a kid but like i'll eventually come into my own and people will it'll be a montage recognize me for this the, the special one that i am you know yeah yeah and that's probably i would i would have if i was going to choose one dynamic like one movie thing that i think is at the heart of you know everyone's fantasy i would say that's probably the one that was you know, nailed it to us the, the most. Like yeah, every every movie. Well, like if you look at the early films, the, the early cinema, right? I'm talking like when we started talking and ta- telling stories. Then you had these. What the movies did is they represented the the powers that be and acknowledged them and even worshipped them. Cops were cops, judges were judges, doctors were doctors, and worshipped them for the social power that they have. Mm-hmm. Then came infallible, a, infallible, right? And then the intrigue became: what if one of them didn't do what he was supposed to do? <gasps> he was, you know, what if there was an evil judge? What if there was a bad cop? Right. So, um, <clears throat> film noir specifically dealt with some of these things. Film noir is actually, you know, just remembered as detective stories with like uh, gumshoe, all that stuff. But film noir actually has a very interesting history in challenging the status quo of cinema at the time, which was uh, all really cookie-cutter. Believe and accept and embrace the establishment was the first, that wave of cinema. It was like things, order, absolute order, and this is the way the wives are cooking and cleaning, the men are getting the jobs done and putting their hats on the coat rack and coming home and the children are being jubilant. Like was it like a propaganda? Like an, it was very in, much in, so. Like yeah. instruction manual for life? Like you're this yeah. is how it's supposed to go. Here's the template. Here's the template of the ideal life, right? That was what the Hollywood code was about. Right. Um, was to censor and to make sure that this uh, the propaganda of the American life was being communicated to the masses and that the ideal was the picket fence with the kids and daddy coming home. This is like the post-war. This is the post-war desperately people trying, desperately governments trying to get people to believe in order again and, 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 uh, and rebuild after a horrific trauma, right? Mm-hmm. That was World War II and World War One, And then came the 60s and the 70s, which you know, obviously challenged all of these ideas. And there was an explosion in, in uh, counter cinema and counter music and counter art, and challenging all and, and, and exposing these ideas, the Pleasantville 50s as bullshit and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. And so 
there we were sort of thumbing our noses at the establishment and realizing, and I think just to not get too far away from what you were, we were talking about earlier, I think that there is in one part a satisfaction uh, in anonymity because it allows you to go and do things on your own away from the, the, the big brother. But then you don't want to be anonymous and quiet for too long because then you might be forgotten. Mm-hmm. And you want to at some point matter again and, and appear. And, and I think what's going on right now and cinematically and filmically is um, we're rejecting now this idea of the... While we're still doing, like the mainstream media is still doing the, like, the chosen one stories, there's a lot of food film. Like Walking Dead, again, is an example of saying, no, these people weren't chosen. They just happened to survive. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing special about them. Uh, or every time you think there is, one of them gets their face gnawed off. <laughs> right? Especially just, if they're on the side of good and mor- morality and maintaining their humanity. Exactly. Yeah, those, yeah. Are, those are the ones that tend to... We're, we're kind of like, like raging against the lie of the 80s that was that good, the good one and the evil paid the price. Mm. Because we found out that that wasn't the case. Um, in fact, most often the evil or the, the corrupt or the, 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 the vicious survived because they were self-serving and the good burned to a crisp <laughs> because they were not, not, they were not, they didn't have enough edge to, the, to, to defend themselves. All this to say that um, certainly right now, if you look at all the top shows, all the shows that have like dominated us and are and are captivated us completely, they are what Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. a short a story of an establishment science teacher becoming a drug lord, Dexter, a serial killer something that in the 70s, 60s, 80s was a, an object of horror and, and fascination, but now has become like a potential... He's like a superhero. He was, he's a superhero. He's basically a superhero right. story. Yeah, yeah it, what Dexter suggested is that the world was so horrible that, that something like a serial killer put to the right use is the ultimate vigilante fantasy. Or that the, 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 the law system was so flawed that he was necessary yeah. because so many of these monsters fell through the cracks right that he had to sweep mm-hmm. sweep in which which is a very interesting thing yeah and i think you people know, that, rooting that for took, a serial killer how weird is how, that, how, how weird is that exactly right so like the the our law system is so fucked up that we're siding with the serial killer yeah because he's the better alternative to the lawyers and judges that we have in place yeah and you know we've gone through this before, right? This, this, this. Uh, what you're talking about? But I'm going to let you finish your point. No, no, that was that was, that was basically it. Okay. It's just, it's just it's a very fucked up situation. It is. You but know, we've went, we've gone through this before. Uh, in the '70s, there was the uh, you know now it's remembered as the exploitation era, and the uh, crime crime store detective stories. Yeah. The Charles Bronsons, the uh, Dirty Harrys. What were they? They were they were Dexter's. Because what happened in the 70s, uh, uh, lawlessness became a huge problem. New York was a cesspool. All the major cities were cesspools. Drugs flooded the streets um, because drug dealers realized that there were all these potential customers in the fucked up um, um, soldiers that were coming back from Nam. There was a whole client base now of PTSD before PTSD existed. Right. So they flooded the street with drugs. 
there was crime. New York was a cesspool. All these places were cesspool. And then law was so, the police was so powerless and people felt so desperate that guys like Rambo, guys that like Dirty Harry, like like Charles Bronson became, the, the vigilante was born in that era. Hmm. This idea of like rolling up your sleeves and taking back the night and fighting, taking the law into your own hands. That idea was born there. But then the 80s brought on like, the, this uh, per, at least perceived financial prosperity, and suddenly we believed that we could leave, like uh, we could live in the suburbs, mm-hmm. and then we could have the families and the people and business and build structures and utopia and futurism and all this other stuff. Nineties were a little confusion because we were like, wait, eighties were bullshit, and in two thousand we started that again. But then, as the more that we, est- the more we perfect the illusion of utopia. And reach it to a certain point because it's not a complete illusion. Mm. We were, we're achieving things medically, uh, psychologically. Uh, we're, we're we're reaching things technologically that are that are impressive. Just mm. look at prosthetics. <clears throat> yeah. Right. The fact is, this idea that you're talking about of us realizing that the law is not is not perfect or it's not exactly working the way we need it to work has come back and now we're seeing another sort of demise of ideology where we now see ourselves in guys like Dexter and Rick and Shane. And we even side with somebody like Dexter who is the monster. By, by all intents and purposes like psychologically ill. He's a convenient he's a convenient monster. Yeah. He wasn't like a Charles Bronson who was just good at killing and had a like penchant for like justice or right. whatever he has a sickness that compels him to kill and was just happened to be trained by his adopted father in order to you know direct his sickness towards those who are like him like right. a serial killer that kills other serial killers this is why i did the punisher movie by the way if you're ever wondering why i made a punisher film a fan film i mean apart from all the other circumstances punisher I think is a character yeah, that's that, true. that is only going to become more interesting in our time now. I think Punisher, when Daredevil season two comes out, I think people are going to freak out, and and there's going to be a massive resurgence of popularity for the Punisher. I didn't I didn't think about that. You're you're right. I mean, Punisher is born out of that exact thing. Yeah, like Punisher doesn't exist in a world where the law works. No, he was born in the 70s. The time we're talking about, the vigilante uh, thing. Yeah. That's exactly where Jerry Conway uh, conceived him. But he does, he, he's not like a serial killer. He's, he sort he, of is. He's, but he's, he's, he, he was wronged and now he's going after like revenge. Sort right? of. I mean... The, the, Isn't so, it kind of like... The, it's, it's basically the Robocop, right? Like your, his family got killed and then he... Yeah. Kind of. Well, okay, so... A quick primer on Punisher is right, that he was created in the 70s uh, and he was just sort of a throwaway villain of the week for Spider-Man. That's where he, he appeared for the first time. Oh, okay. He was like a vigilante. And this was in the period where Spider-Man was like really starting to become popular. This idea of uh, it was a coming-of-age story, but also here's a hero that never steps over the line because he understands that with great power comes great responsibility. Because he got burned early. Yeah, he made a mistake. He didn't do his duty as a civilian, and now he has powers. And he, like that was the message, right? Mm-hmm. So Punisher was just a straight-laced mercenary at the time, 
but as he evolved, um, he sort of uh, became I, um, um, a repository of all the the deception and the, the, the disappointment of Nam. Right? He wasn't conceived that way, I think, at first, but he very quickly became Marvel. And he was a very weird anomaly in Marvel because Marvel was so optimistic and so colorful. DC was the dark comics and the dark themes. Marvel mm -hmm. was very much like color and happy and optimistic. He was an anomaly already in that world as this vigilante. Okay. And then eventually he they went full like in this uh, 80s they went full on with they gave him a backstory. He was now a Vietnam veteran and yeah, he had been traumatized by the war, but he had also realized his power, which was that he was a he was a super soldier. So he was like Rambo first blood essentially. Very Rambo, very very Rambo in in certain ways. Um, did not seek conflict, but was just like he was good at war, and he didn't know why. And when when the war ended, his family got got murdered by gangsters, and then a new war, right? And then it again it 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 uh, responded to that need of having a guy out there that doesn't compromise. If you're guilty and you've you've hurt other people, he's a super policeman in a way that a policeman could never be a policeman, right? Hmm. As he, judge, jury, and executioner. Judge, jury, and executioner. Right? Hmm. And for decades, he has lingered as a sort of strange anomaly back there until some very crazy people got on, on the comic books, uh, Garth Ennis and his other guys, um, and really started to address what he is. He strikes me as somebody who, who ego doesn't come into it at all. It's all just about the, the scales of justice, you know, like right, yeah. wrong. He's essentially doesn't matter. Like you, you, yeah, you do the crime. Like you pay you, the price. You pay the price. Yeah, yeah. Regardless there, of him, like it's not it's not about him at all. No, he's in fact uh, more increasingly uh, very quickly he stopped becoming Frank Castle and and, and I and I want to have this conversation again uh, to, okay. to, to a deeper level. Yeah. But he very quickly stopped being... Uh, it was never really about Frank. Although the smarter writers that got on the character would give you glimpses of a remnant of the guy that was before. Mm -hmm. His sense of humor would come out in a really grim way while he was cleaning house. But yeah, he became like a force of nature. And as years go by, and as, our, as the years went by, Punisher just becomes more and more of an interesting character. And I think now more than ever, he's really relevant. Hmm. Because he presents the following problem. He is a loose cannon. He cannot be stopped, at least not without a significant uh, you know, force. He has never hurt an innocent person ever. And in fact, has said clearly, if he ever does, he's going to eat a bullet. Right. Like he will take care of himself, he says. Mm -hmm. There's no statute of limitations on what he's doing. He doesn't even know how long. He just kind of is in this daze. He's in this like weird place in his mind. And his job is he goes out every day and he kills bad guys. And every once in a while he runs into superheroes who've, not, who've uh, deliberately sworn never to cross that line. And that's when these really interesting stories interesting. emerge. So that's, I think, going to be the, the really, like, if they execute that as well as they did season one of Daredevil, if they really get to the meat of that controversy, hmm. um, 
as a Punisher as Daredevil that's gone over the line. Uh, that's going to be very, very, very interesting. Well, I hope they do a better job than they did with fucking Dexter, man. Yeah. The end of Dexter, I, I watched it just out of morbid curiosity. Wasn't it It was odd? the worst ending to was any show I've ever seen. Like, worse than Lost, worse than... Worse uh, than anything. Battlestar Galactica. Worse than anything that you could ever imagine. It was just garbage. Like, I watched... Absolute it. garbage. It felt like they just basically uh, dodged ending it. It was ridiculous. Isn't it? Yeah. I really enjoyed the first and second season, yeah. so... And I read the book. Uh, Darkly Dream- Dreaming Dexter. Darkly Dreaming Dexter. Okay. Yeah, like the first season is basically the first book, and they did a great job. Okay. So what other uh, shows were you, were you talking about? So we were talking about Dexter, we were talking about... In this idea of, of shows that are kind of indicative of our state of mind. Mm-hmm. Walking uh, Dead, uh, Game, Game of Thrones. Thrones. Game yeah. of Thrones is, again, another... Of course. Clear, like it wouldn't take a genius to psychoanalyze what what it is about the show. Never no clear good guys, no clear bad guys. Yeah. A bunch of guys that you start off hating that you end up actually identifying with. A lot of people that you really like that end up dying early deaths. Mm-hmm. You know, like lots of there's. It's a lot of gray gray zones. Yeah, I think maybe it really hits a nerve with people in their thirties and starting from the thirties and the forties. I mean, the younger people get in with the sex and the good-looking people and the and the action and the, the costumes and stuff. But I think people starting from the mid-30s on start to resonate with it because um, of the brutal brutality of, of it. Hmm. Um, maybe it excites them to some level. But also what, what happens in our mid-30s is uh, parents start to drop. The ill ones, the ones that, are, that have medical conditions. Hmm. Minimum grandparents like all go right and you've, you've probably experienced a little death by, by, by this time. point yeah, yeah. and sudden f- finality of life sudden shitty unexplained death yeah you get that call and like bobby's gone You're like what the fuck do you mean bobby uncle bobby's gone why uh he, he a tractor fucking killed him or he, he he put a gun in his fucking mouth you're like what so you start yeah. to get some reality <laughs> some yeah. mortality at you for the first time Right and wrong, black and white. It's yeah. not so black and white anymore. Heroes not necessarily levels getting of gray. You yeah. know, the right thing to do in a fucked up situation is not always so clear. Yeah, maybe villains are sometimes not just villains. But Life they're is not complicated. Yeah, it's gray area. The show. Yeah, it really but also is. brutality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but oddly, like in in some cases, like it's. Redemption, of, weird, of, weird hope, hope, hopefulness. Or yeah, you know, like Jamie Lannister kind of thing. Come, coming you know, around, coming around, going through his thing. You hate him at first, and then he go. You're you're along for the ride as for his redemption. On, it's a very by, manipulative show. It's yeah, a very manipulative. Like four show. seasons later, you're like you're rooting for the guy. Yeah, who basically like. Threw a kid out of a window. If, like first episode or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> he tossed the kid out of a fucking window. Yeah. yeah. Sorry for the spoilers. But the point is I that... I think we can spoil like episode <laughs> three. <laughs> you know that I don't have the obsession that most people have for that show? No. I certainly love it. And I mean, I, I played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. And I still do sometimes with old friends. Yeah. I love fantasy, uh, all that stuff. But I'm not obsessed with that show as much as other people, I think because uh, of 
the fact that there is a bit of a, a cruelty and manipulative quality to it that I'd resent. Hmm. And I, I don't know if other people pick up on it, but uh, I, I feel like it's starting. It sometimes crosses the lines between how far, as a filmmaker myself, yeah, uh, not a very prolific one yet, but as a amateur filmmaker or as a starting filmmaker, I feel that it crosses the line between what you're allowed to do to people. <coughs> and maybe this is my my prudishness, right? Maybe that there's no such thing as a line but I feel like there's lines that it crosses for shock value hmm. that are just petty and cruel and have no actual historical or not historical but have no entertainment value so much as just like ripping your guts out emotionally for the sake of being memorable right Okay, so maybe yeah. I mean, I, uh, I can I can see that. I can definitely see that. But given the all of the the cliched stories that we were talking about before, and these narratives that are built into the society, maybe, maybe there's the. I'm just giving you the counterpoint. Like yeah. maybe, maybe there's there's some value to tearing those walls down. You know? Absolutely. And maybe breaking those Challenging. breaking those rules yeah. and and. Mm-hmm. Telling a story that doesn't conform to that thing, like I know, like the what's his name, George R. R. Martin. Okay. Yes. Yeah. You know, like he he's come out and said a lot of stuff about a lot of other stories that are similar to to that. You know, like how their prophecies are too literal, and how they're, you know, like the characters. You you know that they're not going to to die because they've they've put all this time into developing their their story and for you to identify with them and all this like maybe that maybe there is something to that definitely there to, definitely is i agree know, no and, no no and maybe it, w- it wouldn't be as successful if we didn't have this whole history of the rule main, the rules of storytelling the, the, the mayonnaise yeah yeah so like you know he's just breaking down those walls i think yes. that that's maybe why it's a, as as popular as it is because people there's an, I think there's an appetite for something something different, right. maybe, and maybe like whatever is going to come after this, might there might be like a you know a new set of rules like there's like now like maybe some people will die, you know like you know in like in the, yeah you know you know Harry Potter's not dying, right you know that the whole time you're what that this is this this security the whole time like it's called the movie's called fucking harry potter and the chamber of whatever right you know harry potter's not not gonna snuff it you know he's not he's not going down but that's a children's story although but i I, as an example i 100 percent agree with you i know what you're saying and from that standpoint yes definitely it's very valuable uh i definitely think it contributes to the story the way that david lynch who i can't stand personally Hmm. um i do not resent the fact that he's considered a genius and I this is one of my philosophies I very strongly believe that just because you don't understand or under, or like something it doesn't prevent you from acknowledging its genius or its impact hmm. on society and thinking right and David Lynch is one of those people <clears throat> who has been counterculture and counter narrative and counter structural his whole career he makes he he, he made a career out of it <clears throat> excuse me and while I don't enjoy his films particularly, I haven't hated all of them, but I, I don't see him for the genius that some people do. 
I consider his contribution extremely valuable because he did in fact do very something very similar, which is to take a big steaming shit on conventions, yeah. cinematic convention, formulaic Absolutely. cinema. Mm-hmm. And I would almost submit to you that some of the more exciting progress in films and ideas, maybe even films that are the way they're done today, would owe, owe a lot to guys like him for challenging the medium and for saying things like, well, what if we don't see the guy go in the building and we just know he's in the building? What if there is no building? What if the building is only in his mind? What if this whole thing's in his mind? Hmm. What if people start talking like car- cartoon characters? Like, he, the, the, these are very important people in our society that that continually um, provide us with a counterpoint. Right, but he's definitely a sadist. Oh yeah, no. Uh, there's a laundry <laughs> list of. There is a, definitely a laundry list of psychosis with that man. Um, uh, just listen to his musical albums. I don't know if you know he's a recording artist. No. You didn't know this? I didn't know this. Yes. So David Lynch is, first of all, a filmmaker, but he's also a coffee nut. Oh, I was back on George R. R. Martin, but continue. No, I was, I was talking to David Lynch, yeah. <laughs> he's a coffee nut. I think you said like he's obsessed with coffee. Point. He has his own brand, I think, of coffee. He's absolutely like, he's got fetishizes coffee. And also, he has released now, I think, a few albums. You sent me a link at one point, yeah. Yeah. And he just. It's, he kind of just wails over music with it. But it's completely nuts, and I don't like it, but I think it's valuable. Hmm. I think there's a power to that. I think people should not dismiss things just because they don't like it. Right? right? Uh, it, there should be a fine line there. And George R.R. R. Martin, uh, for whatever else he is, I certainly there's things he does that I resent, but yes, I 100% agree with you. What he's doing is making... TV and films better. I think so. Because I mean, it, who, who knows what the next step is going to be? Yeah, yeah, and 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 again, I want to come back on this some other time because uh, I think we're we're going out of control here today. Uh, but How long did we go? I don't even care. I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't know. This is so good. I don't care. Um, I'm just glad we're talking about this. Hopefully, people are not, uh, you know, exhausted. But. Uh, I was telling you earlier about the the impact of home video on our consciousness. Yeah. When we brought films home, and Ebert has written great, great essays and stuff on this subject of what impact it's had on us. The DVD generation, I have a theory about what impact it has had on us. And I do like a comparison in my mind between the DVD generation and the exposure of pro wrestling as, as as a... it's a very weird... I could probably write a thesis on this. I'm intrigued. Proceed. I'm going to give you a, like a very pared-down version of this because I, I want to get back into this some other time. Sure. That's going to be our catchphrase. I want to get into this some other time. <laughs> <laughs> but essentially what happened to pro wrestling is it, it was pro wrestling was a, a pastime, a niche pastime that existed since the 40s, 30s, maybe even. And it was exposed in the 90s slash early 2000s as being quote-unquote fake yes like everyone knew choreographed everyone knew it was fake deep down they knew they were going for a kind of i mean its source its its roots come from vaudeville and circus sideshows it was it was a more naive time though i think people were able to convince themselves that there was i think the very like the 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 like the dumb if you want to maybe have that arrogance to say that there was such a thing like the simple people really bought into it but even there it didn't just attract simple-minded people 
yeah. who attracted really smart people and, 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 and aware people and who knew deep down that it was all a, a theater, <clears throat> a very physical, very dangerous theater. But they embraced it because there was a fiction to it and they wanted to be under that spell. This comes back to our point at the beginning about mm-hmm. wanting some of that magic, no matter how much proof you have to the contrary, right? They go to bring it all back. Yeah, thank you. But the point is that in the 90s and the 2000s, what happened for the first time is wrestlers actually started to admit that it was bullshit. And that kind of exposed exposed the market. How does this relate to DVDs? Well, DVDs, I think the featurettes, which were featurettes and, and little documentaries that were added to DVDs, were invented as a form of incentive to sell the format. Because so you get a little extra something if you buy the DVD as yeah. opposed to if you went to see the, the movie in the theater. Exactly. Like the director's commentary. and Why the hell would you want this copy of this film when you saw the movie in the theater? Well, because here's 10 extra minutes. Own it. Watch it again. See the secret stuff that not everybody gets to see. Right. Yeah. Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. So that DVD, I think it had the same effect as the exposure of wrestling, in which, which is what it did is it got people... It gave people a look behind the curtain of production. Uh-huh. And so we have a whole generation of people that grew up watching how films are made, uh, directors and, and artists and costume designers freely, finally having to an opportunity, a platform to tell the, the, the watchers like how much work goes into this shit because it's so much fucking work, right? And just wanting to go like, okay, well, how did we create this character? Well, the makeup was designed this way. And it's all fascinating stuff. At the same time, it's used as a selling point for DVDs, but I think it's also had an adverse effect. Is it's dissipated some of the magic of cinema. Hmm. It's canceled out some of its magic. I see. And what you have now is people, young people, watching a movie and poo-pooing the CGI and poo-pooing the camera work and poo-pooing the acting and poo-pooing the costumes. And suddenly now we have a whole generation of people who feel that they've they're, they've got some filmmaking knowledge and they've got the inside scoop hmm. and they're shitting on films for, well, the pacing was really off. And 20 years ago, nobody knew what pacing was. Right. Nobody knew what crane shots were. People unless... are definitely a lot more difficult to impress. Yeah. So just like we, I don't envy cops for their job, <laughs> uh, you can say what you want about George R.R. R. Martin and all the people behind... Um, <clears throat> Walking Dead and all these shows, but their job is harder than ever mm. because there is a definite uh, boredom that's set in or a sort of jadedness that's set in because now people think they know how this all works. Right. So if you can compel people and you can excite them in 2015 with a straightforward story of hero, villain, then you are like, you're a ninja. Yeah. Yeah, you need to need to come up with something that's that's new. Mm-hmm. You need to keep absolute secrecy on the set, right? Like Which is super non, hard. non-disclosures all over the place, so that everybody's like has their fan theories, and that's something that George R. R. Martin's really good at. And J.J. Abrams has kept the the Star Wars stuff under Somehow. wraps too. I I don't know how. Well, now there's there's a leaking culture. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. There's a leak culture. There's a leak scene. Yeah. All these people who leak. just make money off of that yeah leaking stuff and coming up with like fan theories about the backstory of 
R plus L equals J and stuff and yeah. all all This is wild shit. Yeah, it's crazy. It's a crazy, it's crazy time. So maybe to wrap this up, because maybe we should wrap this up uh, just for today. Let's do it. Um, what talk to me about what what is it that you're what are you okay, we know what the big shows are, we know what the big hits are. Is there anything weird underground or weird that nobody really maybe it's not public mainstream or very big are there any cool like niche shows or or movies that you've seen lately no not really nothing going on that you, you i haven't been with? spending a lot of time watching movies and, and tv so i just I'll, i stick to kind of the staples but all the stuff that i watch is sort of educational stuff online <laughs> okay so you're more in a documentary phase right now documentaries and just like uh, doing a lot of youtube and you know we're, we're spending a lot of time on podcasts so mm-hmm. I'm, you know i'm trying to do a little research go around see like what other cool podcasts there are and see if i can leave leave some comments and you know make a few alliances here and there if we can yeah you know that kind of stuff so the, the podcast stuff's been taking up a lot of my time recently. i gotta say this is ama- an amazing i'm so glad we did th- we decided to do this holy shit man it's it's been great it's been super good i it's, have no there's no 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 sign of of fatigue or jadedness for me in this I look forward to every episode we record. Seriously, man. Like, I could just podcast all day. <laughs> How great would it be we just, like, wake up in the morning and, like, okay, podcast time. And yeah. then I'm do, not sure do how that. much the, the, the listeners could handle. <clears throat> but, um, um, all right. So, if you're in that sort of in- intellectual space, because we go through phases, right? We go mm-hmm. through, like, documentary phases and we go through fiction <laughs> phases. Uh, if you wanted to okay recommend something to me that i should watch that's that's intellectual or that's informational or that's documentary what should i watch i don't know i've been i've been watching a lot of uh, gad sad's uh, uh youtube channel the gadfather the 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 gadfather the gadfather yeah. the gadfather and he has a thing called the the sad truth uh-huh bless that man yeah. i love that man he's amazing i so. hope we can have him on someday <clears throat> basically everything on his youtube channel is just is really good. Is, it, is there a theme to it, or is he go on different topics? It's it's uh, evolutionary psychology okay. stuff, you know. And he has a lot of very interesting um, guests on that uh, you know are from the intellectual community, and uh, you know people you may not hear from all the time. So I'm, you know, every time he has somebody on his on his YouTube channel, I kind of like order their book. <laughs> so I've got this like, list of books that. I, <laughs> I'm you may trying or may to not make, read someday. Well, no, I'm trying to make my way through them, but yeah. Okay, so Gad Sad, uh, G A D S A A D. Yeah, let's put right. a link to it on the show just to. Uh, yeah, 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 we'll put a link he's to a it. Montreal Concordia professor. Yeah, uh, he's been on Joe Rogan and a bunch of other podcasts a bunch of times. Yeah, he's the shit, man. He's 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 really cool. Like he'll he'll just go on any any podcast. Yeah. It doesn't need to be like intellectual guys or anything. I'd love and, to like, talk to him. I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, it'd be great. And, you know, maybe at some point where we have, like, more of a listenership. <laughs> yeah. Once we cut our hair and, and, and take a shower and, yeah, exactly. and be more respectable. Yeah. Yeah, we'll okay. We'll get some good conversations Let's make going. that happen. Okay. Now we've got microphones. We That's can, we can first step, yeah. get a bit of a roundtable with some interesting people. Okay. Going on. So my I suggestion, then, what I have as a, as, a, as a suggestion, either for you or for anyone else listening, if they're looking to watch something that they may, may not watch otherwise, unless prompted... Uh, I have been on an absolute binge this week of uh, kung fu films from the 70s. 
Oh, really? Yeah, so Netflix uh, uploaded a bunch of kung fu films from the year I was born and just around the year I was born, so 78, 79. And most people don't know that there was a very, very cool period, a very, like, a almost a, a golden age of low budget but really, really well done kung fu films in this period. Uh, fans of the Wu-Tang Clan probably would know about these films because <coughs> actually once you watch them, you realize that that's where all the Wu-Tang stuff comes from. Oh, really? Yeah, it's all it's all the samples, all that stuff. It's like they clearly are, are, are obsessed with this. And I understand why. But I would suggest uh, if you're on Netflix or if you're not on Netflix uh, to check out films like The Five Venoms, um, uh, The Kid with the Golden Arm, uh, it's actually, there's this group called, there was this group of actors in the 70s in Hong Kong. Uh, this is pre, like, giving it back to China, Hong Kong, right? There was this group of actors called the Venom, the Venom Group. And there were these five or six absolutely astounding martial artist actors. Like, the real deal. Okay. Right? And they literally have, they made like 10 or 20 movies where they, it's always the same guys, but they rotate. And it, there's a hilarity to watching these movies because you have the these ridiculous hair pieces and, and beards and fake beards or whatever. Like the, the costumes and the makeup are a bit cheesy. So there's a hilarity to it. But at the same time, they keep rotating roles. And the stories are always interesting, hmm. right? And there's incredible kung fu, like easily would hold up to any fight choreography I've seen today. Really? These are legit martial artists, like legit. And... Uh, it's absolutely fantastic to see them uh, do the choreo. They just there will be these eight-minute choreographies that today would take millions of dollars to put together. And this Venom group guys, they just they just you know, pardon my French, but they just shout out these things. Hmm. Uh, there were these uh, the the Shaw brothers made these films in the seventies. So if you have a chance to check out. Um, these movies absolutely do so. There's one that doesn't belong to that family, but made by the Shaw Brothers called the uh, 36 Chambers of Shaolin, which okay. you may have heard of 36 Chambers because Wu-Tang named an album 36 Chambers. <laughs> yeah. It is essentially the Star Wars of Kung Fu films. Really? And I personally recommend it to you, Richard. Uh, uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it next time. Sure. It is a story that when you first start watching, you're going to be like, okay, this is your standard Kung Fu Chinese film. But it will, it will get you. Nice. It will get you. It is a story of a nobody becoming a somebody. Uh, you can see all the templates that were there, that were hijacked later for the. I, I lived that whole thing, man. Like, I did the Kung Fu, I, I read the Kung Fu books. Yes. Like the, yeah, of course. When I'm preaching to the choir here. <clears throat> yeah, I was into the movies, like the whole bit, but I, I'm, I don't recall if I saw that one. But no, um, man, get on Netflix. They're all there. Okay, they're all there. I'm, uh, I'm the there. Five Venoms, the Five Element Ninjas, which is a really funny name because ninjas are Japanese and these guys are Chinese. Mm-hmm. Uh, start with the kid with the golden arm. Yeah. And Thirty Six Chambers of Shaolin. Uh, I have not been able to stop watching them. Okay. They're from a filmmaker's perspective. They are brilliant from a storytelling perspective they're brilliant and it's just uh there's so much fucking fun to watch i'll check it out for sure so uh, that's my recommendation for this week sweet all right yeah man okay so i think we've we've uh we've talked talk thanks for anyone who's still listening yes you're still (laughs) with us we love you and uh, join us next week 
And by the way, we're uh, we're on iTunes. We're now on iTunes. Yes. We're on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. We are on Stitcher. Stitcher. Soon, uh, well, YouTube is up, but we don't have anything up there. Yeah. But soon, that's coming. Coming soon. And you may have noticed our brand new theme song uh, that's playing at the beginning. We used "Sleep in the uh, Sleep Now in the Fire" by Raging as the Machine for the first couple of episodes, but we were extremely, extremely graciously uh, uh, gifted with a kick-ass theme song. Holy shit! Holster did an awesome job yeah. on that song. So uh, thank you, Danny Lajoie. Uh, who's been on the show and thank you holster you guys like just danny thank you it's just a great song holy shit i i couldn't have thought of anything that would be better like it's beyond my my it's so good wildest (laughs) it's really great but it's it's just like uh just the fact that he just he he did it in a in a a hop skip and a jump he just provided us with this music so thank you danny it's uh it is now our music forever the whole group holster you guys are the shit thank you so much and uh, so, yeah, so subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review if you can, and uh, uh, this this new Blab thing, we're going to give that a shot yeah. at some point, hopefully. Yeah, more about that as, as it develops. Blab is a, a, another sort of a social media thing that we're looking into, but more about that later. But I do want to emphasize what you just said. Um, a lot of shows, a lot of people talk about, like, please comment and tell us what you think, and they're just trying to get clicks and hits on their site. Yeah. We do not give a fuck, okay? What we want is we literally want you guys to get involved with the show. Um, and if we can drum up some business on that standpoint, and from that standpoint, and we can get you guys commenting, and uh, whether you like the show or not, like if, if there's anything we've said that strikes you, please comment because we're ready to let you guys dictate what we talk about. We're, we're ready to dictate, uh, let, it, let you dictate the topics, we will find ways of uh, importing you into our show so you can yell at us or tell us what you think of the world. Uh, this is not just about me and Richard. Like We want to f- get the pulse. and uh, So please, please reach out to us if you, if you have some things to say. Absolutely. Leave some comments and we'll do what we can to talk about them. Yeah. We'll get you guys involved. We can't wait to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. All right, man. Well, that's all I got. Yeah, man. You good? Let's pretend we have nothing else to talk about till next week. Perfect. <laughs> On that note, fire in a hole. Fire in the hole.